Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And hello, movie lovers. And tonight, I actually have a very special friend of mine. That's Josh. And we're going to be talking about the very first Scream movie. This movie came out in 1996. And of course, a year later, I believe they followed up with Scream 2. But we're not here to talk about Scream 2. We're here to talk about the very first Scream movie. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, Josh. Hey, how's it going, man? Going good, man. It's been a while since we've done a show together. I'm glad to actually have you on here. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's glad to be back, especially talking Scream. I'm, I'm really excited right? for that. And this is going to be part of our rewatch series. So Josh will be with me throughout this whole entire journey of Scream, yep. all the way up leading into the new Scream movie, which I hope that you'll be back reviewing that one with me. Oh, I hope so. Okay. So I'm just going to talk about this for a minute. This budget, this movie came out in 1996 of December of December 20th. It also had a budget of between 14 and 15 million dollars and made 173 million dollars at the box office, which is very impressive. So no wonder why they wanted to do a sequel. Yeah, it's a nice Christmas movie. (laughs) (laughs) Take the family for a nice Christmas movie, (laughs) right? Hey, kids, guess what? Get in the van. We're going to go on a family. Are we going to go see uh, Chevy Chase? Are they going to go on ahead and? We release it again and for a Christmas vacation. Nah, we're gonna go see Scream. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Watch some people kill each other. But dude, I, I remember going to the theaters to see this with my mom because she's the one who took me to go see this movie. Yeah. And I was like maybe 10 when I saw this movie. And I just remember being in the theater and being so sucked into this, like, who's the killer? And we don't even at that point, we didn't realize it was actually a voice uh control thing to control somebody's voice or whatever so i was actually looking for someone with that kind of voice so therefore that's what i was actually thinking of course applied yeah. twists and stuff like that at the very end you are actually surprised but yeah just like the a, yeah it's, it's a great it was a great way to throw everybody off it wasn't really something that we had seen before so i, I think it's one of the things that really made it work most definitely and Wes craven does a really fantastic job with this one Mm-hmm. The point where it actually throws you off your guard and everything, especially whenever they tease that Cindy's boyfriend might actually be the killer. And then you wonder, and then all of a sudden they threw us for a loop. We're going to get into that in a few minutes. But I like how he actually does a misdirection with it. And then uh, after the, everything's tied in at the very end, then you're really, really shocked at who the actual killers actually are. So that's something yeah. I really liked about it. Yeah. But of course, this also has a cameo with uh, Joel. Um, Drew Barrymore. She has actually a high school student named Casey Baker. She is home alone, which receives the call from an unknown person during which they discuss horror films. The caller is turned sadistic, refusing to leave Casey alone and threatening her life. That's just a mild uh, thing that I put in my notes, but I like how it opens up as to how we actually watch movies and Mm -hmm. uh, rent movies from the video store at the time. She's heating up some popcorn for her and her boyfriend to enjoy. And then, of course, that's when we wind up seeing um the phone call happen and of course she's like what's your favorite scary movie at first you know she's just going along with it and then she's like 
Well, I like Freddy Krueger. Oh, is that the one with the knives in his fingers? Yeah. I like I like that movie. <laughs> yeah, that her her stuff and that scene was one of the biggest parts of the marketing I remember with when this movie came out. And they wanted everybody to think that she was a big part of this movie. And she's not. You know what though? Now that you're thinking about it though, I remember the te- the teasers for it. And I'm glad that they actually opened up with a it actually opens up for the tone of what this movie's going to be. Oh yeah. With that first kill with Drew Barrymore and it sucks you right in with that first mm-hmm. stab scene and then it breaks into the next day with the school where the school people the people in the school is actually talking about yeah. Um Casey and her boyfriend being murdered. So I de- and then of course you know how high schoolers are they always wind up spreading rumors and things like that. So Yeah. So I definitely like where they where Wes Craven was going with it because of the fact of the fact that that's how high schoolers actually talked during that time. Yep. So it puts you in the mindset of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And her scene is honestly, in my opinion, one of the best scenes of the movie. I mean, I love this movie so much, but that opening sequence is probably the best of the entire series. The best opening sequence I think that they've ever done. I think so too, because, you know, like I said, you have the opening scene where she's making popcorn. And then of course she goes, well, my boyfriend's going to be coming over and he's going to kick your ass. He's a football player. And so he goes, turn up, turn, turn on the front porch lights. And that's when you realize that, oh crap, this person actually got her boyfriend and tied him up to a chair. And she's not, she doesn't have that security blanket of like saying, Oh, I'm safe because my boyfriend plays football and this person will kick that person's ass now. Yeah. Now it goes into the vulnerability effect of now, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like with, with this opener, like I, cause I've watched this movie dozens of times and there's no way it was only one of them. It had to have been both of them during this right. part. Cause there's no way that all the different things that happen in the way that like they string her up toward the end, there's no way only one person was able to do all of that. So I love, cause there are ways to tell which killer is which uh, there's like subtle things that they each do uh, when they're in the ghost face uh, stuff. So it's really cool to go back and watch knowing where each one winds up being um, and, and base, base that on, you know, how they kill and everything and kind of see, who they choose it's really interesting it definitely is because okay so this i'm going to talk about this other thing though too because of the fact casey answers the uh, answer the question about friday the 13th incorrectly which happens to be of course you know jason for uh mother that was actually the one who was actually killing the first one yeah and then right then and there steve is murdered in front of her and got it and that was a gruesome scene yeah. singing in 4k and everything makes everything stand out even more. Oh, I bet. And I'm like, oh my god, you see see the gruesome stuff on VHS, and then of course you see it on the big screen, but nothing compares to the 4K. I'm like, oh my god, this is really intense with the fact that that he's been gutted out, all of his guns is actually hanging out, and then next thing you know, it Casey winds up running outside the yard. Her mom and dad are pulling up. Her mom and dad are wondering what's going on. And then, of course, that's when Casey winds up getting stabbed. And then, of course, gets hung after she gets um, being butchered. And then it goes into the next day. And then this is actually where we have um, the whole entire media 
who who descends in the town in the wake of the murders and a police investigation begins. Tendry, uh, you know, Cindy Prescott struggles with the upcoming anniversary of her mother, Maureen's rape and murder. While a news reporter, Gail Weathers, whom Sydney despises, arrives as a press member. Yeah. So now you actually have that tense, tensified scene where it's like, oh, so this is actually someone that's been through some stuff already because her mom died and was raped and murdered. Yeah. She's trying to cope with that one year anniversary while also having to suffer through this with her friends dying. Yeah. And like a year is not that long, you know? So like, for her to have to go through this again that soon, it's it's insane. It's she's an extremely strong character, you know what I mean. So just just out of just because of that, um, and we see that throughout all the films. Exactly. I always pictured Cindy. Now I, it's been a while since I've seen the film and everything, and I just now started revisiting again. I always pictured her as like not a dazzle in distress, but she is a strong character, but. I like how she doesn't take no crap from the killer, especially whenever she takes one of the killer down. And even the cops said Cindy actually defended herself very well with the confrontation of this killer. Yeah. So I like how they actually brought that to, into light that this is not, this is actually going to be a strong character. But I remember saying, okay, in, in scream two, she becomes a lot more stronger because she knows now what to expect opposed yeah. to how before she didn't know what to expect because it's her first time going through it. Yeah. And, and yeah. We see her like her strength as as a character. Um I think particularly when the killer is in the house and chasing her around, she instantly goes for the front door, you know, which is a you know, which is a thing that you don't see a lot in horror movies, you know. She goes for that front door, but it's locked and he's right there on her so she can't unlock it. So she's forced to do the trope thing and run up the stairs. Right. You know. But because, even then, right. she does that, and she has a plan. She she's able to keep him like lock, essentially lock him out of the room, so that she can get out. Like she plays it really smartly. She does because remember whenever the killer uh, talks to her, goes, "What's your favorite scary movie?" I don't like scary movies because all it is is some big breasted girl that that plays the damsel. Basically, I'm just going, I'm not going for verbatim. Yeah, but all they do is go up the stairs. Yeah. And they should be just running through the front door. And then the killer goes, oh, really? The yeah. next thing you know it, she winds up locking the door in front of her because she know, he now knows that's her go-to. So therefore, yeah. he's going to go after her. That's the brilliance of, of, of uh, Wes Craven and his ability to to subvert those tropes with this movie. His, I mean, this movie is incredible. And he did such a good job with it. So Definitely. But my other thing, though, too, is, okay... So the first time we, I saw this in theaters, I didn't know who the killer was, but that fountain scene alone tells you who the killers actually are. Yeah, because whenever you actually when you see Cindy's boyfriend Billy, and then of course you wind up seeing, um, what's what's Billy's friend's name? Stu. Stu. When you see Billy and Stu having that conversation, and you instantly know that those two are the killers because of the fact that Stu goes, well, it's not that hard to actually gut somebody. All you would have to do is do an incision all the way down. And he's actually giving vivid details of how you would actually do that. And the way Billy looks at him, like, you need to shut up uh, right now. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> 
but here's the thing in the theater though we don't realize that right for your first experience yeah. and everything but then once you once the blinders are taken off then you realize like we mentioned with secret window those blinders are actually taken off yeah and that's one of the things i really liked was the sm- how smart the writing is because once you get into it 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 doesn't slow down yeah. and i liked how billy's like you need to just shut up shut up yeah. Stu. And then I mean, the okay. fact that we don't know that there's two killers, like, so you're not really thinking about the fact that it, it's both of them, you know, they, they instantly aim everybody toward Billy, you know, which is, is insane. Cause like he is the killer and he, they, they put, they take him to jail and everything, you know what I mean? And like, right. so like they had him and then Even, right. We don't know yet that there's another killer out there, so they're able to to make it seem like okay, I guess it's not him. And they 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 really he really messes with the audience's head that way, right? Because at first you're like, okay, did he really do it? Did he not do it? What's and then you know, I like how David Arquette plays a Dewey in this movie though too. Yeah, and because. He goes, hey, 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 Dewey. No, it's Officer Dewey today. Said, we need yeah. to talk. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, he has that conversation with uh, with her about the relationship between uh, Sydney and the girl that got murdered. And then, of course, you know, wondering if she's okay because of everything that's going on. Yeah. Because of the anniversary of her mother's death. And then, of course, that's when we wind up seeing that conversation at the water fountain, like we mentioned, and then it goes into what's there's actually that one character. I really like to Randy. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Jamie. Randy reminds me of us as film, film nerds and stuff like that. He represents who we are as film, as the film audience who love horror movies. Yeah. And, you know, at first you're thinking, okay, maybe Randy did it because, because of uh, the baby's being stuffed inside the mail. Um, mail carrier and stuff yeah but then you know you realize okay well he's just being goofy but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i love randy as a character um he he's essentially he is the audience you know he reacts the way we would react in situations like that and uh you know to everyone's surprise he makes it out in the end you know so it's nice. I like him. Definitely. <laughs> I, w- I wish he had stuck around for the third one. You know, been able I to wish that, be alive at I, least for it. Exactly. Because that's how I feel, though, too. I feel like they should have kept him alive. And even Jamie Kennedy said, he goes, why would they kill me off? I was like the best thing with the franchise yeah. and stuff. They killed me off a little too early. I think the reason, I mean, I know, I know we're not actually talking about the second movie, but I think the reason that it happened is because they wanted people to realize that, it, you know, anybody can die even people who made it past that first one right because even randy talked about the rules in the second one too yeah and we'll get into that when we do our second screen movie yeah but you know then of course i like how they make the joke with randy oh uh you're still working over at the video store he goes yeah i quit like three times i got fired like three times yeah <laughs> so i i like that part it's like that little teenage uh smart assy type of thing that we would actually say yeah and then you know uh then of course we wind up playing with the whole entire thing where um they're insulting uh basically talking about cotton weary who tried 
and con- uh, convicted of Maureen's rape and murder was not responsible for the crime. And that night, while waiting at home for her best friend, that's when Tatum Riley to arrive. Sydney gets a taunting phone call. We talked about that. Sydney's boyfriend, Billy Loomis, arrives immediately after. But the way that she goes about this, though, man, like, she ends up trapping the killer outside of her room by taking the closet door and putting it into where her bedroom is. Yeah. And then the killer which they, can get up. Which they set up at the beginning. Because um, she's in her room, and it's when Billy first comes in, and he's in, in her room with her, and her dad tries to get in the room. So they set that up that that's a thing that she can do is essentially block her door from opening. So I liked how they how they set that up before actively using it for her to to stop the ghost uh, stop Ghostface from getting in there. Same. I like that setup. And then of course she's she's into her computer though too. And at this time though, you know, <laughs> it's dial up internet. So yeah. she's using 911 to call out to, because the killer um, because the killer's inside the house, yeah. which is very smart of Sydney to actually say, oh, crap, I can't use my phone because yeah. the line is busy because of the fact that I'm online. But wait, I can call 911. I can actually still dial out. Yeah. And then at that time, that's when Ghostface disappears and Billy pops up out of the window again. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she she thinks that he did it. And then she runs downstairs. And then this is my favorite iconic part with David Arquette. He has the mask of Ghostface in his hands, yes. and she screams, and then he screams. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> but it's like, okay, so like Billy pops up. There's physically no way that he could have made it, you know. So it was obviously Stu who was in the house with her. But she, like, she's so freaked out that she doesn't think about that in any way. There's physically no way he could have taken off all that stuff made it out and around and climbed up to her window in the, in that amount of time. Right. You know what I mean? This is absolutely, it's impossible. Unless he's able to, t- to teleport. That's the only Unless way. he has like Superman capabilities where he can yeah. just hurry up, take off the ghost face gear and then hurry up. Yeah. But, that's really the only, only way. So that was his, uh, you know, that was smart on their part, on their part as a duo of killers uh, for him to do that, knowing that she would, probably that he would probably be a suspect because of that but there's like literally no way it could have been him you know so his hands are clean in that one at least well then you also have the cell phone part where the cell phone falls out of his pocket yeah and so that tells me that okay he's might be the one who's actually doing the phone calls but then turns out he's not even making any phone calls to sydney at all because Stu's the one who's doing this calling Mm mm-hmm so yeah. they take turns back and forth between who does the calling and who does the killing yeah. and stuff like that, too. So you don't know who's doing what. And so therefore yeah. they wind up taking um, Billy in and then they put him behind bars. And then the way he looks at Sydney at the jailhouse, at, when they go over to uh, the sheriff's office, you can definitely tell that he's really pissed off at Sydney. But at the same time, if you look at the way his eyes are slanted, it's, he's he's out. You can definitely tell that it's not just because he's pissed off at Sydney. Yeah, you can tell that there's something beneath that mask. That oh he's yeah, wearing. absolutely. Yeah, he's he's done a lot. <laughs> he's seen a lot, <laughs> and we find out in later in the later movies just how much uh, he's done. So, right, yeah. and then of course you know the next day Billy is released and. And suspicion shifts to Sydney's father, Neil Prescott, due to the anonymous phone calls having been traced 
to his phone after school is suspended in the wake of the murders. And I like how they the principal in this movie, though, too. You actually have what? Uh, what's his name that plays the principal? Uh, uh, Henry Winkler. Yeah, you have Henry Winkler playing the principal, telling the students that he loves them. Yeah. Is there... <laughs> I love him as the principal. It's so fun. <laughs> it's fun for, to watch him because of the fact he ends up putting the ghost face mask on and starts doing all those uh doing something that we would do it's like yeah. they just mm-hmm. you know just acting totally goofy with yeah. the mask on and then goes into the bathroom and that's of course when he dies and i remember my mom and i whispering to each other that has to be the killer yeah. then there's also before he dies there's a, a a quick scene uh with wes craven actually as a janitor and he looks he's dressed like freddy krueger okay and i yeah. love that scene it's just it's such a nice little little throw to all of that all his stuff in the way i love that it is a nice little treat to see wes over there because it's a callback from nightmare on Elm street one where he's mm-hmm. the janitor and of course you actually love the whole monitor and um you know nightmare on Elm street one where he goes watch inside the hallways don't run yeah so i like the fact that they actually wes did like a little bit of a small of a callback with that i yeah. thought that was actually smart yeah <laughs> yeah i love and that then uh, you know I like how Dewey and then the cops are like, well, you know, we don't have that much evidence on on him at all, yeah. on this guy, on Billy. And so, therefore, we have no choice but to let him go. And Dewey, you can definitely tell that Dewey thinks that he has the right guy. But at the same oh, time, yeah. it's like, Dewey doesn't trust him at all. And his walls are up. Yeah. And then whenever he leave, now, this is actually my favorite part. When they get ready to leave the station with Dewey's sister and Sydney. And then, of course, you see Gail. And what does Gail say to Sydney that makes her punch? He goes, oh, yeah, okay, never mind. Sydney goes, hey, Gail, I like your book. He goes, really? I'll get you a copy. Bam. Yeah. Punches her and knocks her down. <laughs> Bam. Bitch went down. Went down. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Me too. And then, she, and then Dewey's over there icing Sydney's hand. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, but you know, Cindy uh-huh. definitely deserved it. She has bad timing when it comes down to certain things. I get the fact that she's an investigative reporter and things like that, but at the same time, she doesn't care about anything but the story and doesn't care about the people either. She just cares about oh, herself. Yeah, yeah. Gail is a completely selfish character in this first movie. Yeah, and then uh, let's see, Tatum's boyfriend and Billy's best friends do. Marcia throws a party to celebrate the school's closure. Yep. That's also another thing that happens. But I like the video store conversation in there where you have Randy, Stu, and Billy all in that store. Oh, yeah. And I like the conversation because of the fact that it reminds me of myself working at a video store and having those video store conversations. And like we said before, Randy actually represents us as the audience who would actually work at a video store so i definitely like yeah. those little callbacks for that absolutely yeah but the whole entire deal where you actually have the party with the closure of the schools and things like that was actually pretty funny it's like okay well we don't have no school so screw it we're just gonna go in and throw this big party and then you have of course randy playing halloween and i always thought this was actually on halloween because they were playing because randy was actually watching horror movies yeah 
So I think he's just such a horror fanatic that if he's going to put something on, it's probably going to be a horror movie. Right. And it happens to be Halloween. Yeah. That, that he's playing, which is the movie that winds up uh, being part of the introduction, basically close to the introduction to what this movie sets up. Yeah. With your Michael Myers and things like that. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, Stu's sister winds up dying in this uh, in this party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tatum's death in yeah. this is. <laughs> I don't want to say one of my favorite. That seems like a bad word <laughs> to use. <laughs> but it's a pretty epic death. I have to say. At least she didn't feel anything. That's all I have to say. Yeah. She was it's, gone. Like it's one of the few times that Ghostface kills somebody without like touching them, essentially to do it. Right. It's like, oh, she's doing the work for me. So therefore I'm going to go on ahead and she's doing something stupid. So therefore I can actually kill her. And yeah. what better way to do it when she's going through the doggy door of a garage. Yeah. And so she's going through the um, doggy door. That's when, of course, he decides to go on ahead. Ghostface goes on ahead, pulls up the garage door, and tr- and kills her by slamming her head up against the um, the middle piece that's actually part of the garage. Yeah. So and then you have Randy, who's actually explaining these the rules of survival for horror movies. And then Stu was also teasing. This is, of course, I think when Stu winds up deciding, "Hey, I'm going to put on the Ghostface mask." Because he goes, I'll, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Because <laughs> that's one of the rules. You never say that. <laughs> right. Uh, then we wind up having Gail attends uninvited, of course. She also sets up an eye uh, hidden camera. And yeah. poor Kenny, the With, cameraman. Uh, was it was like a 30 second delay, I think is what they say. Yeah, 30 second delay. By that time, the kids are already dead. Yeah. And when as soon as Kenny says, oh, there's a 30 second delay, that's when Ghostface goes on ahead and slashes his throat, but that's before Gail and Dewey come back from their little hike. Mm-hmm. Whenever they, those kids get a phone call that someone's been gutted out in the football field. And then, so they were like, Hey, let's go ahead and get that person down and see yeah. a dead body. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this town is so messed up, man. <laughs> it really is. If you think about it. Yeah. That's how you know you're in a small town when they just want to see a dead body that's being gutted out. That's someone you know. Yep. Yep. They're not upset. They're just interested. That's all. Right. Yeah. Eh, they just want to see some guts hanging down. That's all. There's something. Yeah, they, they got nothing else to do. Right. The, the, <laughs> the party wasn't enough. They they just had to go out and, and investigate even further. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, then, of course, you know, Tatum heads to... The garage door. She get one. You know, we already talked about that. But then, of course, we also have this other thing where we have Sydney and Billy getting ready to get the, get it on because of the fact that you know she decided, hey, maybe I am keeping Billy away and everything and stuff like that. Maybe I am keeping him away to keep my innocence, and it's time to actually be with someone that might want to make love to me. Yeah. So therefore, you know, they wind up sleeping together, and then of course. This gives open range to the fact that, hey, if you're a virgin, you'll survive. So now there's no survival for Sydney because of those rules that Randy winds up giving. Yeah. So she has to make her own survival now. 
<laughs> and I like how they now it's her movie. I like how she goes, it's my movie now. Yeah. And essentially it's like, okay, so now she has her own rules, not playing by their rules. I like how they play off the narrative with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They do such a good job. just kind of subverting all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you have her finally giving it up to, to Billy and then to, for her to find out that he's actually the killer and all this stuff. It's it, it, I, it had to have messed with her head quite a bit after all of that too, you know? Most definitely, dude. Yeah. Most definitely. And then, you know, at this point, you have Randy, Stu, and Billy coming up to the front door. Mm. And and then, of course, you know, Dewey also got stabbed in the back. So that's how she, And so she's like, you know what? F you guys. I'm done. I'm not listening yeah. to Randy. I'm not listening to Stu. I'm not listening to anybody. <clears throat> and but I forgot to... I, and I know I just said Billy was over there, but no. Billy was upstairs because he gets stabbed by Ghostface, oh, yeah, supposedly. Yeah. Yeah. So supposedly. he's upstairs. Ketchup. Right. <laughs> and concert. <laughs> what a taste. <laughs> but yeah, he's upstairs. He get he gets stabbed after sleeping with Sydney. And then that's when, of course, Sydney runs downstairs and then she opens the door. And that's when she discovers that Randy and Stu are both outside. And basically Randy's trying to tell her that, hey, don't trust Stu. Yeah. And she goes, and then Stu's over there. Don't trust him either. He's the killer. You need to go ahead and kill him. She's like, "Well, fuck both of you," and <laughs> it shuts them out, man. <laughs> <laughs> which is nothing, and that's also not been seen in horror movies either. Yeah, it's like, which one do I trust? And then the person winds up shooting either the right one or the wrong one. And yeah. instead, Sydney winds up just closing the door on both of them and says, "Screw both of you." Yeah, she's like, "Fuck you guys," <laughs> right? And then. After that, we get Billy coming down the stairs, mm-hmm. crawling down the stairs and everything, acting like he's still hurt. And, you know, he goes, let me have the gun, Sydney. Let me have the gun. And so he, she, he gives her the gun. And then he opens the door and lets do win. But then you can yeah. see where he's actually uh, basically closing it off to, to Stu. I mean, not to Stu, but to Randy. But right. Randy yeah. winds up coming in anyways. And just man, I'm telling you, Stu is fucking crazy. Just and then all of a sudden you see Billy goes, We all go crazy sometimes. And I <laughs> love that line, man. He delivers that line so perfectly. Ah, it gives me chills. Same. Is it just me or does he look like like a younger Johnny Depp? I can see me? that. Yeah, I can because see that. It, to me, he actually looks like Johnny Depp in a way, which is like a little small Easter egg to the very first Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah. So it kind of, to me, to be honest with you, I I think that he actually does look like Johnny Depp a little bit. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. Especially with the hairstyle. I never thought about that until you said it, but I can totally see that. And, uh, you know, the delivery of that line, I remember in the movie theaters hearing that for the first time. And then you hear, and then someone in the back of me who had already seen the movie goes, we all go crazy a little sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, okay, so someone's already seen this movie, but I like the fact that someone is also mimicking the movie. Yeah. It didn't ruin my experience. <laughs> Normally it actually takes me out of the movie, but to hear somebody else quote the movie, it just makes me laugh because yeah. of the fact this is not one of those movies that you have to pay attention to that much. Yeah. Get the concept of it. But yeah, that's true. But then he winds up shooting uh Randy. And then after that, you wind up seeing Stu and Randy. Um, not Stu and Randy, but what you wind up seeing is Stu, and of course you wind up seeing Billy 
hold uh, Cindy hostage. And then he goes, just wait, Cindy. I have a surprise for you. It's going to be a real killer. And the out comes the father who's been in that basement for God knows how long. Yeah. Well, I mean, the entire time length of the movie, because when we see him come in, try to come into her room, like, he's getting ready to leave. Like the ne- he's supposed to be leaving that morning, the next morning. Um, yeah, to go out to of go town, on, like a business trip. And he never made it. Like they were in the house, and they took him that night and put him in there. You know, so. And then, you know, I liked how they talked about because you know what, if you get it wrong, guess what, you die. Yeah. Yes, and I also liked how they were both going back and forth with the voice changer and stuff like that, and explaining their whole entire motive behind it. And then they're also yeah, they just lay it, they just lay it all out, man. Because they they're so confident that they're going to get away with it that it's like a Bond villain. Just here's my plan. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, come on, guys! (laughs) And they're both stabbing each other. Oh yeah, that. But even if they did, now let's just hypothetically here, okay? Let's say, for instance, that they do try to get away with it. They can tell that it's self-inflicted wounds, even though somebody else stabbed them. Especially whenever you look at the height of the weapon and how high the the knife is. Yeah. And then you actually look at how how it, the person got stabbed. You can definitely tell it's self-infliction on both of them. Yeah. Feel a the, little woozy, man. <laughs> Man, you stabbed me too hard, man. <laughs> and then, uh, then of oh, course, my favorite line though is when Sydney winds up uh, taking her and her father away from that whole entire situation, and that she's actually hiding. And then they, then she winds up turning the tables on them. Goes, "What's your favorite scary movie?" Yeah. Goes, yeah. She, she, she takes the power back, and it's, it's an amazing scene. Once again, another power trope to Nightmare on Elm Street, where basically we actually have the main character taking power away from Freddy, just yeah. as how she took power away from them. Yeah. So I liked how he played it off of that. But then Sydney goes, and I called the and I called the cops, and then Stu goes, "My parents are going to be so mad at me." Yeah, <laughs> he's so worried about his parents. Now oh, he thinks man. of his parents after. <laughs> yeah. After killing how many people? Like, come on. The principal, <laughs> the Drew Barrymore's character. Yep. Jeez. Uh, one of the things I love about this, because uh, I brought it up earlier, is how you can tell which killer is which. Um, Stu is the one who uh, double hands the knife, and brings it up over his head. That's how he kills. Uh, Billy is a one-hander, and he's the one who chokes people. So whenever you, if you when you go back and rewatch it, look for those, and th- then that's how you'll know which one of them it is that's doing the, each individual killing. It's really interesting to go back and watch it that way. Yeah, I didn't know that because in back in my mind, and I've seen this movie several times too, and I never, I always wondered, okay, which one's the ki- which one is which? Yeah, because of that. But also too, if you think about it, Stu is kind of theatrical, so would actually be the one who would actually hold the knife with both hands like he's actually in a drama then you actually have of course billy who's just one-handed yeah because we actually see that too whenever he winds up stabbing um stabbing Stu with the knife yeah. he doesn't do the double-handed thing either so now that i'm and and, back and on it. they you see him 
outside of of the Ghostface costume trying to choke Sydney at one point. So like that's how you know like he's the he's the choker. Yeah. Okay. I never thought, thank you for bringing that up because I never noticed yeah. that before because I was like, okay, in the back of my mind, every single time I watch it, I'm like, well, which one's the one who's doing the calling? Which one's the one who's doing the strangling, the knife, and everything else? Yeah. So thank you for bringing that clarity up to me because I didn't even know. Yeah, yeah, no problem. It's it's It makes watching it, I think, far more interesting. Most definitely. Like I said, even with the water fountain scene, though, too, you you have a lot of fun with that scene because of the fact that it leaves everything wide open to and is actually pointing the red arrows to the killers. Oh yeah. That, so <laughs> it's, and it's very smart on how Wes Craven does misdirection with this. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's was, I should say, uh, incredible at doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Then let's see. Then we also have Billy and Stu corner uh, sitting in the kitchen and discuss their plan. We talked about that and pin the murder spree on her father. <laughs> whom they have taken hostage. They also reveal that the murder, her mother and Frank Cotton for it, as she re, as she was having an affair with Billy's father, which drove his mother away. So there's that part that I put on my notes. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty... Man, the, the fact that this guy was so angry about his father having an affair with some woman that you know and it causing his family to fall apart that he would go out and murder her and then a year later you know be together with her daughter just for this plan like it's he's he's Grotesque. he's got problems like he is a he's a, a true psychopath and that's what i like about billy though in a sense is like he actually has motive he also has a reason why he wants to murder somebody. It's not someone that just decided, oh, I watched several different horror movies, so therefore I'm going to go out on a killing spree. Because even Stu, uh, even whenever Sydney winds up calling Stu and them out on it, he goes, you guys are nothing but fucking psychopaths. You watch way too many damn movies. And then that's, of course, when Stu winds up saying, say, no, we find inspiration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... I want to know what the conversation was like with Billy and Stu to where they both wanted to do this. I wanted to know Stu's motivation. I think Stu was just uh, easily manipulated, honestly. I think he's just weak-willed, and Billy was able to to just manipulate him into doing this for him to make convince him that it was a, a good idea and that they would just get away with it. It'd be easy. It wouldn't be a big deal. I could see them him convincing Stu this way, where it's like, you know what? It's just one big horror movie, in a sense. Yeah. So none of this is really real. So yeah. You, I could see it going down that way. Oh yeah, I could absolutely see something something along those lines. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think Stu is the same level of of psycho. I, I really don't. I think he was just easily manip- manipulated into this. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, he winds up. Then after that, you have Gail intervenes, enabling Sydney to escape and turn the tables on the killers, taunting them with a phone call and doing the ghost costume before knocking Billy out and killing Stu by dropping a television on his head. <laughs> yeah, I love that kill. <laughs> it's so, that kill epic. Is so awesome. <laughs> 
just, and it's a big old like old school CRT TV. Just one of those big TV sets that we had back in the nineties that you need at least two or three people to actually yeah push. <laughs> and now uh, that's even when I've worked today because of flat screens, you couldn't get that same effect. No, no, as you could. <laughs> Not, not even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but that that scene is so awesome. And then Stu's like, uh, the guy who plays Stu, he's like, I've, I, I want to be in the next one. I was like, how is that going to happen? You have a TV dropped on your head. Yeah. But I'm like, and granted, they never technically uh, tell us one way or the other if he's actually dead. They could have taken him to the hospital and and just never referenced him again. Um, but yeah, I think it would have. I don't think it would have worked. I think it would have been way too much of a stretch to try to convince the audience that he somehow survived and nobody talked about it. And we never heard about him after that. So true. Yeah. But I wouldn't be doubted. They actually say, you know what? We're going to make him his twin brother. His twin brother comes back for revenge. Yeah, that could have been interesting. Yeah. Who's not to say that this wouldn't happen with this next movie, for example, that we're going to be getting. Yeah, no. uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, his family has twins that run in it because the, the 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 twins, the, the guy and the girl who are twins uh, in the new ones are his like niece and nephew. Right. So it so, makes more sense. Yeah. So, I so guess te- technically it does. Ha- you know, it's in the family, so <laughs> it could happen. After that winds up happening, this is uh Enraged, Billy awakens and attacks Sydney, but Gail shoots him. And then this is my favorite part when Randy winds up saying, This is the part where the killer comes back to life one more time. Mm-hmm. And then they both look at him and like, what the fuck? <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> and then Billy comes up. Yeah, he just pops right up. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's of course when uh Sydney winds up shooting him in the head. Yeah. And then after that one's up happening, um, as Billy arises, Sydney shoots him, Billy, Billy in the head, finally killing him. As police arrive, Dewey, badly injured, is taken away from ambulance as Gail makes an important news report about the night's events. All yeah. bruised up, banged up, <laughs> <laughs> because that's how much she cares about the news. Her cameraman may be dead, but, yeah. but damn it, she's going to get this report done. Yeah. I would not want to be her cameraman. Nope. Oh, thank no. you. Well, even uh, the second one, the guy goes, I read about what happened to your cameraman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here, man. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. But um, let me see here. There's actually something I wanted to do, too. I've been adding a little bit of Rotten Tomato scores, what the critics had to say about uh, okay. Scream. So I thought that would actually be kind of interesting to say. It actually has an 80% on the tomato meter. Nice. And it actually has a 79% on the audience score. Hmm. Okay. So that's actually pretty interesting. Missy, and I would, my, my personal score would be much higher. <laughs> mine too. Much higher. And the review says, no one will ever consider Wes Craven's Scream Oscar fodder by this funny and scary little experiment in terror from the man who invented Nightmare on Elm Street put some fun back into, the, into a very tired genre. And then this other... Desmond Ryan, uh, by the time Scream arrives at its final twist, Craven has done too many 
uh, contraventions of his own to give the finale much shock value. I disagree with that. Yeah, I totally disagree. No matter how many times I think, you know I think the shock value of it, like I remember the first time I watched this movie, I was blown away by uh, how the twists and turns. Like he tells you, like like you've said a couple of times, he spells out who the killers are, you know, right from from the get go. But because of the way he just twists and turns this story, you're not sure at all of who it actually is, you know, and that's what I think makes it makes it brilliant. Definitely, because here's the thing. Like I said, in the theaters, I'm guessing at who the killer is because I'm sucked into it because we're thinking I'm thinking in my head. There's no way that it could be these teenagers that are yeah. doing it. It has to be a grown ass adult that's actually killing these teenagers off for some reason. Yeah. Or another. So in the back of my mind, I'm going for someone that's older and not younger. So that's why when we see that whole entire scene in the in the schoolyard where basically they're sitting in front of the water fountain and they're talking about how to gut somebody, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, well, they're just being stupid teenagers talking yeah. about so that's what I was going with at the first. And then once I mean, it's you wind like, up, it's like how right. all the kids run off to the foot. Like you said, they run off to the football field to go see a dead body because they're all morbid and that kind of shit just really interests them. Just like, you know, I grew up in a small town and we don't, yeah. <laughs> not, we don't have shit else to do. Yeah, there you <laughs> so, go. <laughs> but anyways, man, uh, that's going to be it as far as our scream review goes. But um, well, we will, yeah, we will be back to do Scream Two uh, yes. soon, and we'll give you the details whenever that happens. But we are doing all the Scream movies all the way up until the new Scream movie comes out, and then once that comes out, we're going to do a review on that, and that will be the end of our Scream rewatch series. Sounds good. I am excited to talk about uh, all these movies, man. I am too. I'm excited to have you back on here to be able to do these reviews with you. I miss doing these with you, so it's always a privilege to be able to have you on doing them. Oh, it's yeah. just finding the time, the balance to do it all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I get it, man. You do so much. It's crazy. <laughs> it's hard for me to keep up on what I do, to be honest. Yeah, I see you. You're doing something all the time. I'm like, man, he, he's got it. I give it. I give him credit. <laughs> Thank you, man. I do appreciate right. that. Of course. But do you, my question is this. Do you have anything going on as far as Merck with the blog goes or anything like that? Uh, well, right now uh, I'm doing um, my How I Met Your Mother podcast. It's called Last Call at McLaren's. Uh, I post it on the Merkman the Movie Blog YouTube channel. Uh, every Monday, we put out uh, a new episode. And, and right now, we're also doing How I Met Your Father. Uh, so Mondays and Fridays, we put out episodes uh, there. Um, I've, uh, I've, I started you know, getting back into doing some stuff. I did a couple trailer uh, reactions. And uh, this year, I want to get back into doing more movie stuff. So it's ni- this is nice to be able to do right here. So, uh, you know, it's kind of getting that itch going again so uh, Good. i'm, I'm really glad that excited. i could actually give you that groove back again so yeah so i'm really excited to, to get back into doing all that stuff other than that i've just been uh, doing a lot of like uh editing stuff you know book editing and things like that in my okay. in my spare time so hopefully we'll get some more videos going and always until next time guys bye bye Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial. 
plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.